Hello and welcome to another new episode of Tony the Movie Guy, the podcast. This week I am so excited. I hope you can hear it in my voice because we have Anthony C. Ferrente. He is the director of all six Sharknado movies. And it was just a fascinating conversation with him. I got to sit on it as well this week. And he is so much fun. And make sure to tune in to The Last Sharknado. It's about time. Sunday, August 19th at 8 p.m. on the Sci-Fi Network. Check your local listings because I'm not sure if that's Pacific or Eastern, but you definitely don't want to miss it. And also, all day on Sunday, they'll be doing a Sharknado marathon so you can catch up on the first five. And trust me, after listening to this interview, you will want to watch them. Enjoy! Hello everyone, it's Tony the Movie Guy. This is a brand new episode of Tony the Movie Guy, the podcast. I'm really excited about this evening's episode because it's been a long time coming. Mr. Anthony Ferrante, the director of the Sharknado series, is with us. Say hi. Hey, nice to be on. Anthony. I'm Anthony as well, so we have that in common. And also, I'm a true nerd and geek, and I've been a fan of the Sharknado movies since the first one came out. Um, they're just so fun. Oh, I should probably introduce my wife and the show's producer, Danny. Hey guys, I'm here today. Hey, she is Filling here. In. <laughs> yeah, so Miss Money Annie is very angry with me because she could not make it tonight, but it's Mr. Ferrente's fault because he's a very busy man and this was the only time he was available. Um, but look, I, I'm super excited to talk to you about all the Sharknado movies. Um, obviously... The, the last film, Sharknado 6, is being released August 19th, this Sunday. Yeah, about three days away from now. And we just finished the movie last night at one in the morning and delivered it to Sci-Fi. That's amazing. It's been, uh, it's been a wild ride to the finish line. I, I, was, I was telling you before, the thing that people don't really understand about these films, they, they can look at them, they can think they're silly, or they hate watch them, or they love them. There's a lot of people that love them. Um, Studios have like two years, you know, $200 million and like 100 days to shoot their movies. We have 18 days to shoot them. We start them in February shooting and we deliver in July or August right. with 1,200 visual effects. That's so insane. post is very compressed and it's very ambitious. And I think the thing that's crazy about it is that we pull it off every year. And this year we were down to the wire and we still got it out the door and we're happy and it's great and it's fun. Um, but I think part of the magic of these movies, I, you know, everybody always wonders, well, what's the deal? What, why is it this, 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 and this, why is it successful? Why do people like it? And I mean, I think there's a, a, a wide ranging of opinions and views and I can give you a million of them. But I think one of the things 
in, in now evaluating what we've done is that these movies are made, and I say this with positivity, these movies are made with an energy of desperation. <laughs> you know, we don't have a week to do one action I sequence. I can see that in your face, by we, the way. <laughs> we, we have 12 hours to do three action sequences. And sometimes you're like, okay, how do we do this? Okay, great. Stand over there. Okay, we get a wide. Okay, go in, get a close-up, do this. All right, uh, I need a line, Judah. Let's come up with something. Oh, about back to the, okay, let's, okay. All right, go. All right, then, then we move on. We don't, you know, we don't do 20 takes on right. something. Thing. We're we're stitching it together, and sometimes it's it's I call it mental calisthenics. I'll be on set trying to figure out in my head, do I have the pieces I need to be able to uh, cut together a sequence? Um, we break Steadicam operators, and I fully prepare them when they get on one of these shows. I go, you're going to hate me by the end of the show because at some point uh, we're going to do like a 15 minute take. Because as anybody anybody that knows making movies, you know you have to you have 12 hours, and you, generally you can't go over. And we have a lot to do. Like we'll have twelve to fifteen page days sometimes. We had, we had I think a hundred and seventy page script, and the movie ends up eighty five minutes. Usually one minute equals with this last one. Yes. Oh, wow. Usually one minute equals one minute of screen time. Usually. That's so right. we come back with a two and a half hour movie that we cut down to eighty five minutes. But that's good because we can cut out what I call the ass, the stuff that doesn't work or <laughs> it just missed the mark or you know okay let's simplify the story. Um, so, uh, there was a scene in, uh, the Camelot section of the last Sharknado where it was a seven page dialogue scene and there was a lot of stuff going on. And I realized we don't, everybody was cold. And every time you stop the camera, they would go into the heated tents and it's like, and I have five actors there to do the scene or five or four, four, four actors in background. And so I t looked at my AD and I said, okay, we're, we're going to do this. And I told the the city cam prepare yourself and we were going to be wrapped in about like 30 minutes or 20 minutes so i go okay go all right here's the master shot say all your lines da, 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 da. okay uh okay finn do your lines uh tara do yours deborah do yours <laughs> cassie do yours okay i need to get a reverse here okay i need you to say this this is okay do that da, 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 da. okay now raise your raise your sword up do this okay great okay move it over here i need to get background go over there background do that okay come over here do this uh pretty much a 14 minute take with about 30 setups in it <laughs> oh my gosh. And, and then we called it and there was no there was no like let's do another take let's do a pickup that was everything in that sequence wow and that's what i'm saying it's an energy of desperation and i think when you watch the movies there there is this energy of things that are unhinged and unplanned and that come out naturally because in some ways the actors are in the moment and I'm in the moment. It's like, Hey, okay, here's a shark. It's okay. Run. Okay. Now go down, duck down, do this, do, you know, and you going through and doing all those crazy totally, things. Yeah. And like I said, I think that's what drives these movies because in studios they have, they have more time and money to plan it out. They have more time and money to go. Okay. Here's the master shot. We're going to do 10 takes. Let's spend the time on the coverage. And I would love to have the time to do that stuff. Of course. But the nature of our movies is we really want to be ambitious and do everything that we can. So that is our shortcut to get that. And uh, But magic happens a lot on these movies. It's just just flukes because, you know, we come up with a funny line. There's a, there's a thing in the Camelot sequence of this movie. After it was freezing in Romania, we went to Romania because we got to do, you know, they had an Old West set. They had a uh, American Revolution set. They had a camel. So we had a lot of stuff we needed for our time period. But it was in late January, February, and it was cold and it was covered in snow. And uh, it was it was just very hard. And uh, you know, shooting in snow, I don't mind the cold, but, you know, when you have to have 80 layers of, of stuff, it gets difficult. 
and we didn't want the actors to freeze because they were you know some of them are wearing you know tight skimpy outfits right. and stuff. you know tara <laughs> tara's wearing her you know tara freeze she's you know she's tiny so it's like you know she's wearing leather pants and a, and cassie's wearing just leather and it's it's not conducive to the weather because you're going to get hypothermia if you're not careful right so at the last minute we go okay you know what we're gonna write we're gonna bake into this camelot scene where you find clothes and because we wanted them to be warm <laughs> and it's like well, okay. Uh, how do you how do you do it so it just doesn't feel like oh here's a bag of clothes? Okay, well, okay. We'll have this guy. We'll have this guy Camelot guy standing in the in the woods with with a, with a bag or something, and uh, he gets frightened because they landed a pterodactyl on the lake and they don't look normal. And so uh, Finn goes, uh, "Hey, Frodo!" And the guy gets afraid, uh, drops his bag, and and he goes, "Don't don't hurt me! Don't hurt me with your magic!" And he just starts running away. <laughs> And then Finn goes up and picks up the the bag and is like, oh, okay. And then clothes. And so, so yeah, yeah. So it was like, yeah, it's convenient, but it was necessary. Otherwise, we wouldn't have had actors to finish it. And the person that played Frodo, because again, it wasn't planned, was one of um, our crew members. And we said, you know, you know, you're going to be Frodo. It's like, okay, all right. <laughs> but it was. It made me laugh so much, and I couldn't get over Frodo. And I kept telling him, you you, you know. You're, Frodo's coming back. He's like, no, don't do that to me. Don't do that to me. And I'm going, yeah, Frodo's coming back. <laughs> and so at the end of, and he was so good at it. At the end of uh, the sequence, when they try time travel to the next thing, they get in this huge pot. <laughs> don't ask. And, <laughs> I and, probably and, and, will. and they're getting ready to put the lid on and 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 Finn and I, I basically basically we see all the all the uh, soldiers and stuff, the knights, and we pan over. And standing there is Frodo, and he's just staring at him like, you took my clothes. <laughs> and it's just stuff that makes me laugh. I didn't know if the stuff was going to remain in the edit. I just, right. It just ma- it amused me, and a lot of times, you know, it, it's kept in there. And and Finn goes, uh, uh, sorry about the clothes, Frodo. And then Frodo goes, nods his head, like, okay, I'm okay with it. <laughs> and it's just, it's one of those character moments. Like, th- those are things that sometimes it's hard to script those things. Right. I mean, you can, but sometimes they're organically, and like I said, come out of the energy of desperation. We needed something, and it worked, and then when we came back around to the last scene, I'm going, I want to pay that off, because that's, it, and, it, and it's just, you know, it's that, those little buttons that I think. That's what shows these films are made with so much love. I mean, I love just letting you roll. roll. <laughs> You're like a little kid, and that's what's so great about these films. You know, it, Anyway, it's so cool. That's what I want to ask you about because this. So the one you're talking about for our listeners who are like time travel sharks, what? I mean, again, I am a fan of the Shark Native series. I've seen all these movies. Some of them, yes, multiple times. I will say proudly. But um, this is the culmination of six films: Shark Nado Six, uh, the last one, the 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 last Shark Nado. It's about time. The last Shark Nado. It's about time. By and the it's way, airing Sunday night, the nineteenth. Of at, August. Uh, of August. I believe it's at 8 Central so or 8 Eastern, so that means it might be airing here on certain cable outlets at 5 or 6. So uh, On we're sci-fi, gonna, right? On sci-fi, and we're going to be live tweeting. I would check your listings because uh, some of the uh, satellite providers here show the East Coast feed, and people get confused. We are going to be live tweeting the cast, myself, at 5 o'clock um, on The Last Sharknado, like we did on all the movies. So right. We call it a big communal movie-going experience because people are having parties and fun. 
but you know you're interacting with us and it's fun because uh you know when you put something on tv you're not sitting in someone's living room so you don't know if it's working you know you might be sitting with your your you know friends watching it or, or crew or whatever i mean but, but on, made six I, of them on, it's working on, on twitter <laughs> it's it's so it was so great last year when we were doing global swarming i would i would literally watch the reactions like when nova dies like no nova didn't die you guys didn't do that no i'm so angry and it's like it worked oh no i'm crying and it and it was that that kind of thing like you know that's Cassie it's, Cerebro, yeah, right? Cassie, one of the main characters. Yeah, yeah, it's just to be able to see people react and respond the way you want them to yeah. respond. And so you're you're realizing you get to experience that because on TV you don't normally do. In theaters you can, yeah. but but that kind of communal live thing and them, them asking you questions, it's just they the fans made us. The first movie, they did minimal marketing. They had... Uh, you know, it was a typical sci-fi channel movie. There wasn't anything special in their eyes necessarily about it. No, no offense to it. It's just it was here's a movie that's coming out on sci-fi. You didn't know it would be such a huge hit. Yeah. 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 And so um, we uh, I put out a music video to, and we put the Asylum trailer out early and we just I created a Facebook page and we just did a little grassroots and we thought, OK, you know, it, it's going to do what it is. I knew once I saw the movie together like two weeks before it aired, I go, you know, there's this is probably the weirdest movie that sci-fi has ever done. There's something here. And it might have been it might be the greatest stoner movie ever made and maybe in five years it will be a cult movie cut to five years and it was an instant cult movie and we've now done six movies that's right uh so it, it was the fans made us it's this is a rarity where people on twitter found us people in the audience found us and made us who we were they elevated us so we owe them they're they're you know and then yeah the marketing has been great since then i mean sci-fi has just went all out since the second film and even on this one it's just amazing that they do well, it's but like a tent pole for them it, it's, an it's event. the super bowl of sci-fi yeah. because people go and have events for these things yeah. and they watch it and so that that to me is like this movie because we knew there wasn't going to be another one there was no holding back this is for the fans and the thing that people always ask me is like oh yeah there's yeah it's a last sharknado really and but i want to i always try to explain to them look i lived through two final friday the 13th movies i get it i get people are <laughs> jaded you know there was a you know the final nightmare and yeah they had another one it's like that always happens but the thing that uh, i try to explain is that think about it this way we've we've done six movies in five years and there's franchises like Harry Potter that went on for a decade, but they had different directors and some of the actors, you know, uh, one of them passed, you know, and, and so they replace them and they right. do this and they do that. Um, there's, there hasn't been a director that's been from the beginning on six consecutive movies. Michael Bay had Transformers. Right. Blake Edwards did all the Pink Panther movies except for one, which is Inspector Clouseau, which also didn't have Peter Sellers, but is considered canon. So I beat his record. Right. <laughs> this is really unique, <laughs> yeah, actually. Yeah. And But the other part of it is Michael Bay didn't carry the story over with Shia LaBeouf. So this is a movie with the same two lead actors from Sharknado 1 to 6, plus Cassie Nova, who's been in 4, and then a lot of the secondary characters. We didn't suddenly go, you know, now we're going to start a new story where he's a truck driver and he does this. Right. It's this consistent storyline from the beginning with myself as as the constant, as, as, the as, as, as the director. And so we have an opportunity to oh, and let's just tell the listeners your leads. It's uh, Tara Reed, Yes. And uh, Ian Zirig, right? Yep. And then Cassie Serpo, they're kind of the constant they're the, throughout, They're right? the constant throughouts. And so the chance to kind of, end, like, look, we're six movies. You know, we're running out, we're running out of uh, stories at this point. I'm, there's more to tell later if, if they want to do it. You could come up with it. Yeah, yeah we can. But, but in terms of, like, you know, 
we have a chance to wrap everything up. Right. Tell a definitive end to a story that started in number one, where every movie, it's a continuation. It's not suddenly it's something else. It's one long story. It, it's one long story with the same two leads. Yeah. And I've said this, and again, I, I apologies to Jonathan Lipnicki. So I, I, I'm just saying this because <laughs> it's just the only name that's popped in my head when the first time I said it. You know, sometimes when you get to the 10th movie or the 12th movie, you replace your leads. You know, so, oh, Finn's now played by Jonathan Lipnicki or Hervé Villachez or whoever, right? And then let's say that's the last movie. And then you get to that last movie and then it's like, you know, it's been a great run for these 10 movies and guys, you know, we did it. And it's, but it's not, it's not Finn. You know, yeah. it's not the person who established the thing. And so, or maybe, you know, the April character would play, or someone else is playing uh, Nova. And it's not right. We, we they can't were, be replaced, those characters. Exactly. So, yeah. so the thing is, is that we were able to finish, definitively finish the story and arc of these characters with this movie. There is no cliffhanger. There's no button that says, hey, guess what? We're coming back. The story that uh, we, we worked on and created in the first movie comes to an end at the end of Sharknado So this completes it's the whole story. Any, any loose ends, any, um, any things you were wondering about, like the first movies and other stuff, it's all there. It's a big and, deal. And because I was the tone police throughout the, the whole thing, I was very adamant about several things that we stayed true to. Number one, we never explain why these Sharknados exist. <laughs> that was number one from the beginning. I did not want to explain it. You know, we had global warming in the background, or well, maybe the, there was a curse of the shark fin boat at the beginning of the first movie. <laughs> there, there, there's, there's a lot of things that uh, could be construed at it. And, 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 you know, there's a little bit of, like, Astro X stuff, like, oh, they're, they've managed to somehow screw up and create these things or whatever in the fourth movie. And in the fifth movie, we say, oh, it's, they, these things have been around since Stonehenge and, you know, prehistoric times and, and, you know, uh, Egyptian. But um, even though I was okay with us doing that, I was very adamant that that stuff still goes back to the fact that it doesn't explain it. And I'll tell you why. And it's not really a huge spoiler because if you're a fan, it'll come and go really quickly and you might get it. But if you go back into the, I'm a big thing about not retconning things. If you go back and watch Sharknado 5, after you see six, you'll understand that Gil, his son that was like seven, eight years old, who gets sucked up into a vortex in the beginning and then disappears and then shows up at the end of the last movie as, as Dolph, Dolph Lundgren. <laughs> and he says, we got to go back in I time. I just saw it a few weeks yeah. ago. <laughs> so it was Gil that left all the clues for Finn in the fifth movie. Oh. So if you look at the prehistoric painting in, in the cave under Stonehenge, it's signed Gil. Yeah. And if oh you kind God. of think about like the, the gear shifts in Egypt and all the weird stuff that was in this film, Gil was trying to help his dad the first time around and failed. And the second movie is about Finn going back and cleaning up the mess that Gil caused during the first for the during the fifth film. Right. And wow. the other thing that uh, I always talk about the heart of these movies. Yes, they're silly and ridiculous. And I know people go, oh, heart. What are you guys talking about? There's no that, no. There's a lot going on in these movies. The the. Anchor of Sharknado 6, which, it, it, again, it's, this movie is ridiculous and crazy, and you just saw a tiny bit of it, is the idea that, that Finn goes through time and sees his son growing up through time without him. And that's heartbreaking. Yeah, man. And then if, indeed, they rectify and fix everything to reset it, his son will never have existed. 
that's awesome. Oh I mean, for a for a silly shark movie or for six movies, that's a that's a really really heartfelt and really anchor. And that's again, I think the, the from the beginning, these characters are not policemen. They're not they're not uh, you know the scientists. They're not military. And that yeah. was another conscious decision. He's an everyman. And the course of the movies take away all the Sharknado stuff. What is the story about? It's about a family. It's about the first family. Movie. It's about um, Finn, kind of a douchebag in a way. And you know, first, you know, yeah. at first he he was this guy that um, you know he was a surf legend. He had a wife, a loving wife with April and two kids, and he screwed it up. And he still loved his family, but he was a screw up, and he was living his glory days in his bar, and there was nothing there. And during the course of the first movie, everything that he valued that was materialistic was stripped away his bar his vehicle his dignity you know <laughs> and what he gained at the end was his family yeah and so we didn't know where things were going to go with him and we didn't realize we were going to do a sequel but it ended with you know he he tried to make amends with his uh his daughter and he, you see that there's there's hope for the for his wife and you know and that that and they all survived cut to the second movie which is about renewing his vows with with april and at the end the most ridiculous romantic thing in the history of reproposing to your wife pulling her severed arm out of a shark mouth taking the ring and going <laughs> right. will you marry me <laughs> i love that ending that's and two is one of my favorites just because two it, is my favorite it, it, I told it you. is it is that's the, set in new york yeah, right? that's yeah. New York, and it's the it's it's just it's the it's what we do which is take something that's normal and make it absurd and you, and it works. I mean, there's a lot of movies that couldn't do the stuff that we do, but because we set it up, it works. Third movie, the the baby, you know, Gil being born, her being pregnant, him getting a second chance at doing, right. not screwing up a kid. The fourth movie saying, I'm no longer a hero. My wife supposedly died, and I'm raising this kid, and I'm not going to be a hero anymore. This is important to me. And then going through that. And the fifth movie, him with the option and what happens is he loses his son, and again he loses everything. And he's That's walking, global swarming. Global swarming. Yeah, the fifth one. He at the end of the movie, which is the, a true like you know this one is a true two parter in a way. Right. He's lost everything. There. He's he's gained everything, and now he's lost everything. And this movie, he's a man out of time, having to deal with he can't control everything. And again, with the thing of if he succeeds, he's got to make the biggest sacrifice he's ever made. That's great. So that's that's Sharknado. Again, I, I I care and love these characters. I went into Sharknado loving the concept because Jacob Hare and I originally, you know, came up with the idea. Jake said Sharknado, and we just thought this is amazing, and nothing happened until I put a reference to it in a script for sci-fi, and they go, now we must make it because we pitched it a couple times, and it was just like, eh. And then that was the the impetus to make it happen. So That's I didn't cool. I, I didn't come into this as a director for hire. I loved the concept from the beginning, and I just wanted to make something silly and fun. And um, you know, I did horror films, and I love scaring people. Uh, but uh, and I've said the story many times, but it really, it, it I, I mean it sincerely. The first uh, film a week after we after it was successful, we were at Comic Con and we were autographing, and a woman comes up to me and she goes. Thank you for making Sharknado. I watched it three times. It made me happy. That's awesome. And I always took that. I'm like, you know, there, there there's something cool about making people happy. Yeah. And kids love these movies. There's so kids, much. There's there 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 was a convention last year uh, in Florida, and it was like two and a half hours, and it was just kids like wanted me to sign posters, and they knew the movies inside and out. And I was I I was very cognizant from the beginning that um, these movies had they were about family. 
and I didn't want to do, hey, let's go into the woods and have sex and and a shark kills me. There was there's never been anything like that. And you know, the the women are strong. They they may be sexy, but they're not objectified. Yeah, they're, they're badass. They're, sexy they're, they're, women. Yeah, they're badass. And I think that that was you know, especially with Nova, and then what's happened with April. We've really made April really strong during the course of all these. It's like the Terminator. Films. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. And then in the sixth movie, I don't know in the history of of cinema, there's ever been uh, the severed robotic head of a lead character being the driving narrative thrust of the film. <laughs> and when you see it again, it goes back to that. Uh, ridiculousness of you have people talking about her severed head as if it was, you know, the the Ark of the Covenant. It's just insane. Look, I, I love hearing you talk. That's why I'm just letting you go. And I love <laughs> your passion. And I can see these films have been made with so much love. Uh, but I I have to tell you, I couldn't agree with you more about. Uh, here's one thing that, and I actually think all the all your fans feel this way as well. And I think that's part of what's made Sharknado such a sensation yes they're dumb silly fun movies i get it actually the first sharknado is 82 percent on rotten tomatoes you know that right <laughs> yeah i know i love it <laughs> i love amazing? it but here's what i'm gonna say i care about those characters i really give a shit about them in global swarming i was devastated for finn like i was like Oh my God, you know. And he did I tear up. I witnessed it. Oh, she was there. She <laughs> saw me. I was crying on the fifth film. Oh, just wait for this one. Oh my gosh. So I think that, you know, yeah, they're f- and they, they are silly and fun. And your cameos and locations are fantastic. But they have heart because they're about a family and about these characters. And I think you're right. The fact that we're seeing the same people evolve through six films is incredible. Well, and again, it's the stuff that we set up. That the, We set up Tara being part human, part kind of Borg in That's the fourth <laughs> in the fourth movie, the April character. So when we decide that this head becomes a major plot point, it's not like we're just doing it to be ridiculous. I right. mean, most people say, oh, they're just being stupid and ridiculous. No, we set it up. Right. We, you know, time travel changes a tiny bit in our film. But again, the retconning, we had all the seeds. You know, we didn't know what we were going to do. Oh, for, yeah. By the way, so the sixth one is all about time. It's travel. all about time. <laughs> it's, it's about time. Yeah. The At the end of the fifth movie, we didn't know what would happen. We knew there was time travel. But I, I knew that, you know, again, thinking, setting things up. All right, well, Finn's the last man on Earth. So number one, we got to have him carry around the staff that he got out of Egypt. Number two, he needs to carry around Tara's head. So I put Tara's head in a hobo sack. Right, I and saw so that. He's That's walking, the first thing I noticed. So he's walking the ends of the Earth, and um, I get an email from one of the producers going, Anthony, what the hell? A hobo sack? And I, and I, I call him up, and I go, you realize that Tara's head's in that to- hobo sack? Because they, you know, they were here and were in Romania or Bulgaria at that time. And he goes, Oh, cool. <laughs> it's like, and so all we did was we set up these things that he has. We threw them in the back of the truck, and that gave us the stuff to set the motion, whatever we decided to do for six. Right. And so it was always planning for, for, for things that we were doing. And there's, like I said, there's always these little Easter eggs. They're actually smart. There's stuff. That, the thing you said like, about on Stonehenge, I'm like, holy shit, that's right. <laughs> yeah. That's a, but but that's that's the thing is like we, I, I really, I, look, I was a, a former journalist and, you know, I, 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 I know about this stuff in terms of like things that bothered me as a fan and as a journalist. And I just, you know, I wanted to make it as clean as possible. And the other thing too that's actually kind of cool, one of the things we've done over the course of the movies is the Claudia and uh, Matt uh, kids have changed, you know, in, in, in the in the film. The different actors have played them. Oh, right. You know, uh, but I realize now that what we've done with time travel 
is that that's why they changed. <laughs> I have an ex now this one little retconning I can I can concede to, but it actually makes sense now. Yeah. So 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 there's like I said, there's so much there's so much goodness in these movies, and they're just it's just fun for the people that actually care about them. And you see it on Twitter. I mean, I see people all the time going, "We're getting ready for our party," and they just can't wait for it. And it, I think it's a momentary respite from. A lot of the the stuff that's going on in the world, we, yeah. we 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 don't we're not we're not a political movie. We're not we're not we don't have an agenda, and we don't want to end this on a dark note. You're always a couple thoughts ahead of me, Anthony. I love it because I, that's what I was going to say. Like these films, it couldn't be more appropriate time for them because there's so much shit going on out there. That's what I love about movies: escapism. And yeah. Sharknado, I mean, these, that's just so fun. Well, also the other thing that's been fascinating about Sharknado, if you think about it, is that it's not based on an existing IP. It's not based on a on a book. It it's its own thing. We that's came right. out we came out of the gate with a a title, and our mythology is our mythology. There, it's not it's not coming from anything else. Yes, it's steeped in pop culture. We're always paying homage, but the story evolved. And we continue to make that part of our mythology, right. not somebody else's. Yeah, so and I, cool. And that's that's another great part of it. It's, yeah. it's 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 really amazing. It's amazing that we've been here for six years, and then to, you know, there's always the thing of every year. It's like, oh, okay, are we going to continue going? Are we continue going? And you don't want to be like, oh, well, you know, we're at the ninth movie, and I need to sleep finally, <laughs> and you don't do it, and then it ends. I, I love the the satisfaction that I know that I can end the thing that we started. There was an instance on the, the Sharknado 6 set where someone came up to me and was like, uh, uh, the, a thing that we were doing, and they were saying, you're going to destroy the franchise, but this is ridiculous. This is, I, why are you doing this? It's like, it, it, you know, it wasn't it wasn't a producer. It was just somebody random, right? And it's like you know, because they were like they didn't understand because it was all green and it was it was kind of strange what we were trying to do. And I'm going, look, we started it. We're going to destroy it because in order in order for this thing to reset, you need to go as to the furthest point that you can go to be able to bring it back to reality. Right. And that's what we did. And it was poetic in what we do during the big thing at the end. So that's why we did it. That's so cool. there, like at this point so we've cool. been into space so i mean i, know. I mean look we've had people you know uh, chainsaw their way out of sharks what we did is not on part of that i mean so it's like it's not the most ridiculous thing that we've exactly. done exactly we have tara's head or april's head as as the macguffin in this movie yeah i don't think there's any limitations so you're now three days out mm -hmm. from six films uh, you can finally kind of exhale how do you feel about that i mean it must be quite like a an emotional journey really as a filmmaker it, it hasn't it hasn't hit me yet um but we, we also have to finish the blu-ray anybody that also is a fan of sharknado should know that they should get the blu-rays and dvds because in, in a way these movies are abandoned by the time they go to the, the network and then we have like a couple weeks to re, to finish them for the dvd is and blu-ray yeah yeah the cut has extra bits and stuff and oh, most, wow. most of the stuff is like i you know it's funny because one of our producers david maui like last year goes you are going to put stuff back in, even if we do this cut, right? Because you know, because he knows that I like to cut things out. Because right. I like it tighter. Yeah, I'll put lines back in, but I won't put scenes in that didn't work. I'll put them on the deleted scenes. I, I usually beef them up, but it's it's strategic because I mean these are pretty damn close to the the structure of it. What what we do is we we adjust effects, we adjust an order, we let it breathe a little bit, 
but we don't do wholesale things, but they are a better version. They're better visual effects because we go back and go, we didn't like that, we'll fix this. And they're polished and they also have a roll call at the end where kind of like what John Landis used to do for his movies to show who they were. So we usually do that at the end of uh, all yeah, the movies I love starting that. with number two. So people should watch uh, the the extended cuts. So the on like on demand, like on Netflix no, 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 and you, stuff, no, it's the actual, on... it's actual Blu-ray DVD. Okay, the actual Blu-ray, good. Well, that gives me an excuse to buy them. I will. Yeah, yeah. I'd love to see more. No, it's 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 interesting. So yeah, no, I I'm I'm just tired right now because <laughs> I've been here like four in the morning. I, I was I went forty eight hours straight here. I think I slept two hours on the couch. And you guys are are, are sitting. On He's right doing now. it for you, listeners. All uh, the fans of Sharknado. Uh, but um, yeah, it uh, there was there was a moment, like. There, there was a couple of moments where I think some of the actors were like, oh, no, this isn't over. This isn't over. And I kept going, no, it's this is it. It's, this it, is it's, your it's, story. it's over. This yeah. is ending. Now, yeah, they might, again, let's not be jaded. You know, let's, you know, let's, we could be a little jaded in the sense that, yeah, they will, they might reboot it. They might do Son of Sharknado. They might do this. They might do that. But the story, as, as the world of Sharknado that we know now is over with these characters, it, it's done. This, this story with these characters is done. Right. And that's great because wherever they want to go, you're not burdened by any of this. If they want to do, a, you know, a Nova spinoff, they want to do something else, they can do that. Uh, but we were shooting a scene that was echoing something from the first movie, and we were in a similar place, and um, we were trying to recreate something. And it actually, I actually got emotional on set because it was like how far we've come from the first movie to the sixth movie, and yeah, it was, awesome. and it was really eerie. And it was like, oh my gosh, that it really puts in perspective. And so um, I, I also, there's a, there's a speech in the movie that was important to me. In the last one. In, the, in this one, The Last Sharknado, where um, it, I'm, I'm a fan of, you know, I love, you know, it's, this is like the last episode of a TV show. I mean, it is the last episode of a franchise. but like a finale. But it's a finale, too. And, um, the, you know, I didn't want to do a Sopranos thing where I don't want to end it where people are just Screen goes miserable or whatever or <laughs> do something horrible. I, yeah. you know, you know, it's, it's cheers. It's those things where you really you want to pay you want to pay fan service. You want to make them feel good when it's done. And so I wrote this speech and we had a little bit of it initially, but I wanted more. And so I wanted to write something where I was having one of the characters comment on the journey they've been through. Like and part of it talks about, you know, five years ago, you know, and it's kind of like what this was about with this. Um, and then talking about the characters. But then it was also the stuff that said is me talking to the crew and the cast and, and and talking to the phenomena and also talking to the fans. Right. So it was emotional for me because it was writing something. I, I was basically talking, the director is talking to everybody. It was coming and from it, you. It was meta. Yeah. It was on many meta levels and it plays fine as a movie. Anybody that doesn't know any of this, they're just going to watch it and they, they'll, they'll appreciate it for what it is. But it, it was so important for me because this move, this franchise has been incredibly uh, uh, important to me, and it's gifted me with a lot of opportunities. And I, in ending it, I wanted to also say my goodbyes. I could go on social media and do it, but I wanted to say it within the film. I love that. So it's fantastic. It's like a That's signature like, at the end of the long love letter of Sharknado movies. Yeah. <laughs> well, I always say that about people who complain about Return of the King. You know, yeah. From Peter Jackson, the five endings. I, that was like six years of his life mm -hmm. you know i totally get that i mean it was, must have been so hard for him to say say goodbye so he has all these like mm -hmm. dramatic endings but also so sharknado 6 you took it to comic-con a few weeks ago yeah 
How was that experience? Uh, it was great. All the fans that were there. I mean, we we filled the hall that we were in. Um, I was one of them on your Facebook Live. Yeah. Oh. I got a question in. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah, no, it was crazy. It was, uh, they, they, like you said, our fans are loyal. And that, yeah. that's the thing is you want them. Uh, you know, being a journalist, here's here's the other thing, too, is I've had a, I always counter this because there's so many people that ask this like what do you do you have a problem that everybody like you know hate watches this or makes fun of it it's like you know what people are talking about it people are watching it as a journalist you like movies you hate movies and the thing is i'll take uh i'll take a lot of people knowing about my movie than the one person that goes oh that person's a genius i have a lot of fans with these franchises those fans make it worth all the other stuff but people are talking about it, so we win. It's, it's, it's the thing is, it's like there's no losing in this. I, I don't take offense to right. it. If, if you're going to rip it apart and you have justifiable reasons why you don't like it, that's fine. You know, the, the stuff where someone just goes, I hate it, and they've never seen it. Okay, well, then then you don't count. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, look, it's it's people are talking about it. That's we we had it's a we win-win were, we, on, on the cover of, of of newsweek when when trump was elected it was like our logo and it said trump tato there was there was a thing in, <laughs> in in may where uh four i think four of the late night talk show hosts i think one of them was john oliver they all referenced sharknado but it wasn't it was more in in the pop culture uh, reference, and it was they were all wildly different. It wasn't like they latched onto it because the trailer came out or anything. It just became a thing. It's part of pop culture now. Yeah, a de- and on a, the big one around the same time in Deadpool, uh, there's a scene in Deadpool where uh, um, Deadpool's talking to Cable, uh, and um, he goes, "Okay, if you're from the future, tell me tell me three things. One is dubstep still a thing." What Sharknado movie are they on? That's right. I remember. <laughs> and, and, and it's like that's a huge Marvel Studio 20th Century Fox film. That's yeah. re- they wouldn't reference it if people didn't get it. And so, as 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 a uh, a payback, we have a uh, a character say, uh, "What Deadpool movie are we on?" And that's Sharknado. awesome. It's a it's a it's a listen or uh, you, it'll go by really fast. That's but. so cool. And isn't that there's merch as well? Isn't there it was a video game? I think there was an Archie comic spinoff, which apparently you wrote. Yeah, Archie no, no, DS the Sharknado. Yeah, that, which is which. Which is technically uh, Sharknado 3.1. She's binging Riverdale right now. I am. I'm an Archie fan. uh, I met Dan Parent at uh, Comic-Con, I think. Sorry, who's Dan Dan Parent? Dan Parent is an artist for Archie. He's he's been a long-term artist for, long-time artist for Archie on uh, on Sharknado 2. And he drew something for David Latt, one of the producers. And so it became a thing of we should do an Archie versus Sharknado comic. And because it was an an aside, but I really wanted it to happen. And you it, wrote it. Yeah, and, and it almost went away. And, and, and I was talking to the producers like, look, I, why did it go away? Well, because it was a little too complicated. No, I want to have it happen. Can you guys make it happen? I'll, we'll do whatever. And so they made it happen. That's fantastic. And um, I got to write it. And it was it was actually crazy because I'd never written a comic book before. And I also didn't want to screw up Archie. Uh, but I was writing it during the post-production of, of Sharknado 3. And you, because the artist can't keep up, you get to write in like 10 page increments. So I was writing this thing. I knew where I was going with it, but I kept going through it. They gave me all these comic books of Archie and I steeped myself into it. And I loved Archie growing up. And uh, I, w- I wanted to really, I, the biggest thing I was scared about was they were going to go, no, they don't talk like this or that. And they said, you can kill anybody. You can do whatever you want because it's a one shot. And so I wanted to, because we didn't want to have the characters, we couldn't really bring the characters from Sharknado into it. So it was the Archie characters dealing with the Sharknado. 
we made it a side story to the events that were happening in Sharknado 3. So Betty and Veronica are in Washington while Finn is there. And you, you see sort of a shadow of somebody in the distance, so it's sort of like it's in the same universe. Oh, I've got to get my hands on this. And, and because <laughs> it's the Feast Coast, you know, Riverdale gets under attack as well. And uh, it, it, was, it, was, it was liberating because it was just like, because normally you can't do things because of visual effects sometimes, so you could, but you could write whatever you want. Yeah. And there was a couple of things that I did that the Archie people said, you know, we never thought of putting those two characters together. You did a first. I'm like, oh, cool. And also, uh, I, I had a problem killing character. I planned, like in the original treatment, I was gonna kill off Jughead, I was gonna kill off all these characters. And then as I went through it, it's like, I can't. It's not right. It's not right it's to do that. Head. Well, no, but it was not right for the story. Yeah. And, and I think the thing that some people forget, especially with TV shows, is just because you can do it, you shouldn't. Right. And uh, there, the one character I did kill off was Sabrina because there was a logic to it. It's like she shows up when the Sharknado comes. And it's like, you know, she has magic and you have to kill the person that knows magic. Yeah, otherwise she could. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So so that was that that was kind of fun. So, that, yeah, and the merchandise has been great. And then I have a band uh, with a Robbie Wrist, who was Cousin Oliver and a Brady Bunch. And we've done songs on a lot of my movies. And that's uh, Quint, right? Quint, yeah. So, um, so I, we, as I said, I know him as the voice of Michelangelo yes, from, from Teenage, Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles 1990 version. <laughs> so we wrote the theme song, Battle of Sharknado. And we've done songs for, for a lot of songs for all the movies. And every year we put out an EP this year it's called do the shark because ah, we, you played it for us it's yeah. fantastic because yeah, we play a 1950s band and we wanted to have sort of a 1950s kind of with gilbert godfrey to yeah. all people <laughs> yep so we did the do the shark and the thing with the band was uh in my first movie we couldn't really license anything so Robbie said just come over we'll just write stuff like you know we'll write a blues song we'll do this and so every film i did we would just do a different band name so like the joke was oh the band broke up and then they got back together and they reformed so the first movie it was the black and blues reviews the second movie it was toothless chimney and the applejack kids because we're doing <laughs> this weird bluegrass gospel stuff third one was the gingerbread men because we did a lot of 1950s stuff and then on sharknado it was like of course we'll just call ourselves quint and then it was successful and ballad of sharknado was actually successful in terms of people knowing about it and itunes and spotify and so well, I guess we're Quint. At least we're not Toothless Jimmy and the Applejack Kids. So we just kept Quint. <laughs> That's the name that stuck. Yeah, so we just kept it. Cause so it you was... do a song for each movie. We do a lot. Each I mean, one of the Sharknado this, this, films. This one, I think we did six songs. That's cool. And we remixed the, um, the Ballad of Sharknado to make it sound like a Saturday morning cartoon from the 60s and 70s. Which I love. With these huge, great horns. Oh, my God, it's so amazing. Yeah, you're right. So, again, you were so gracious to let us see, like, the first 15 minutes of uh, the sixth film. It's so fun. I yeah. loved it. Yeah, the opening title is really cool. Yeah, that, that, that opening animated titles, uh, it was done by a friend of mine, Timothy Hopkins. He did the third one, and he's he's done storyboards and conceptual art for me, and he works over... Uh, on Bob's Burgers and Bento Box, he's an amazing animator, and we had three months to do the animation, and so he just he wanted it to be amazing, and we knew we wanted to go out with a bang, and he kicked butt, and we want I wanted it to be that Saturday, I wanted to make a Saturday morning cartoon. That's how it felt, and and also yeah. because there was some stuff that we couldn't do in the movie uh, because time travel elements, because we you know we had a specific structure, so we were really, we got to sneak in you know the gladiators, and we got to sneak in uh, Hitler, and and the we trailer did, just looks so fun, man. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's fantastic. You just jump all over time, man. It's awesome. Well, and, and also we we found a way to do the time travel in a way that uh, I think you know there there was a couple things. Obviously, Gil couldn't come back because through through time because of the story. We wanted to see him grow up, so we couldn't really have say, "Hey, Dolph, you're gonna travel through time," and you know it's gonna be the 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 two the two two guys doing it. We you actually made it make sense at the beginning. Yeah, part, yeah, I saw, yeah. The structure exactly. It's yeah. A, so. 
uh, one of the things because I, I think an earlier stuff that we talked about story wise was they were just going to hop all around. It was like I I I, had, I I was very specific in that I think we need to keep it clean. So if if for some reason you know he can't join him, why? And so the logic of it is you can only loop back through time once. So if you end up in prehistoric and you go to revolution, you can't go back to prehistoric, Makes which sense. explains why Gil kept getting older because he kept trying to fix things and it didn't work. Right. And so that's why he has to go back in time. And they, they themselves, they can only loop back through time once. So if things mess up, then you're kind of screwed. Yeah, everything's so. hanging on it. Yeah. It's awesome. Well, look, I love it. You said something earlier, which I think is... It resonates. It's so true that that lady who came up to you and, you know, thank you for these films. They make me happy. So and I think I mean, what more could you have than that? You get to do this. You make get to make people happy. And these look, these films are silly. Yes, but they are fun. Um, and look, I mean, I wish you all the success. I, I can't wait for this film to come out. I want to talk to you about the actors, though. Because I think that's a, a huge part of this as well, is uh, A, your lead cast, and also all the great cameos in these films. I I got so much joy out of seeing all these different people. But let's talk about the lead characters, kind of, uh, you know, how they were selected or what they mean to you for these films. Well, well, look, you know, they, they are, to, are a constant. And, you know, the it was very hard finding a Finn Um especially when it was called Sharknado. Uh, they went to everybody, like Steve Gutenberg and uh, yeah, so Dave I, Foley. And... I have to say this first as well. I'm British, so I don't want anyone to beat me up. I didn't know who Ian Zirik was. I thought he was the Sharknado guy. Yeah. I found out he's from Beverly Hills. Right. And, Manitoba, and, yeah. and there's a big like heartthrob from you know many years. He broke out as a big star to me in this. And then, of course, I knew Tara Reid, but it was so yeah. funny. Yeah, no. At one point, Crispin Glover like came close. Like They, oh had, they had Crispin Glover call me, and I, I spent like 20, 30 minutes on the phone, and he was like, Marty McFly's I, dad. I, I don't understand. Why do you want me to play this character? I'm like, because they're offering it to you. That's amazing. Like, but I, I don't I, If I do this, I, I want to play him like he's he's brain damaged or something. I'm like, okay. But but what, why? Why do you? And it, and it kept going That would on. be a whole yeah. other film. Yeah, well, no, it would have been. It, well, Dave Foley would have been a different film. Oh but, but, but it was one thought. Steve Gutenberg. Sorry, I heard yeah, you say no, that. Yeah, no, but, but I you love know, the Goots. It, but, but when they when they said, you know, uh, this is your fin, I was like, you know, that's, that, that, that's cool. And then Tara Reid, but, you know, honestly, um, the anchor for our film and th th because they went and started going out with the movie is dark skies and then somewhere because they couldn't get cast and so when we were on the set and they found out it was a culture or it might be called sharknado they all were like with pitchforks and things you know it can't be this, this is gonna start a career rah, rah. you gotta have them change it it's like and i told them and i said this very specifically so look sometimes these movies change because i know you know you come up with the title and then sometimes stuff i changes it to something else but i said look if it's called sharknado it will be a good thing. I was very specific about that. And I was right about it because I knew, right. I knew that people liked the title. I knew that there was something special about it. But um, uh, John Hurd, uh, he was our first get. And when we got John Hurd, he was the anchor where like suddenly, he's the dad in Home Alone. Yeah. And he's been in, yeah. he was in Cat People. Tons of 80 Cutter's movies, Way. Yeah. He's an amazing actor. Yeah. And because he gave, he gave us legitimacy. Him wanting to do this movie. And that's why, that's why, um, what was so heartbreaking is that we knew we were going to get John Hurd back for six because um, 
uh, you know, we were doing time travel, and then he passed away at Comic Con. Like mm -hmm. he passed away during while we were at Comic Con, we heard he passed away, and it broke my heart yeah. because he was such a big champion of this movie. He was I in Home Alone. Guy. There was a there was a story uh, in a, it was a bit where they talked about you know an interview he said, and he said, "Look, you know, I'm really proud of Sharknado. You know, it, it made it so people knew me for more than just being the Home Alone dad." Right. He got it, and he even got it on set. And he said, came up to me in like the last day of shooting, and he goes, "You know." I think there's some kind of method to your madness, and you know I could be a little grumpy and stuff, but you know what? I there there's something something about this, and, oh, man, and he so knew sweet. he knew no one else did, but he knew, and I thought, um, you know, that was cool. Robbie Rist, uh, who I did the music with, he's he's the other one that knew, and he said to me um, when he saw the first rough cut of the movie, he said, you know. It's a movie that doesn't know it can't do that. And he <laughs> says, this thing is going to be huge. And he told me, you put this in, the, I, I, he told me to write something on my calendar, said, you know, everything's going to change after Sharknado. This is going to be huge. I'm going, all right, Robbie, whatever. And I put you it in there. You didn't believe that at all, yeah, right? I didn't, I didn't think, you know, like I said, I, oh I've God. done enough of these movies. Look at you now. I, I've done enough of these uh, low-budget movies to know that you have your audience and they come and go and that's what it is and you're okay with that. And if they have longevity, they'll have, I knew it had the potential of longevity. I just didn't think it would blow up. Right. So, um, um, so John Hurd really mean out of out of everybody means so much because he was able to let us get Tara Reid and then we got our Finn. So it that's what was cool. And then Tara coming in was was amazing because she was a, a big uh, studio star. She was huge. Right. You know, she was bigger than anybody and she wanted to do our film. And I remember talking to her about it and she was so excited and so cool. And, and that, that, so we, we got the trifecta with the three of them that, that really gave us an anchor. And then you fill it in with Jason Simmons and Cassie Skirbo and, and, you know, everybody else that pops up. And now you have a movie. And, and the other thing that I think is a turning point in Sharknado that, um, I, I know I babble a lot, but um, they're, oh, they're, I love the, it. The, the bar scene. A lot of these movies in the first film, in the first film, the after the first shark attack, and they're sitting there and all they're all talking and stuff. A lot of these movies are sort of, you know, you see it in a lot of low budget movies. It's just like people talking because they need to get out information. It's like, you know, I was in the military, and you know, I got to tell you, you know, we're not going to fix this shark. You know, it's that kind of like it's just like at face value. It's like, yeah, but you know, you are you're 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 just like you're you're amazing at what you do, and you know, you throwing those knives a couple weeks ago, that was great. You know, that that kind of stuff. Like filling. Yeah, yeah, it's it's filler. It's not character driven. One of my favorite movies is Diner. Uh, Barry Levinson, love it, and 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 I've always been fascinated by it. And I watch it every year to remind me what great filmmaking is and what great first-time filmmaking is. And the thing about the film was it's very conversational. The dialogue, you feel like you know these people. You There's feel so like much you want to hang yeah. with them in the diner. And he managed to make that stuff feel fluid and effortless. And a lot of TV shows and movies took that on many years later. And they, I don't even think it was influenced by that. It's just the culture change and you know Seinfeld and all that stuff, and that became the norm. And that scene in the bar was my attempt to capture the tone of how Diner worked in terms of people conversation. And I wanted I wanted us to know these characters by the way they interacted. So you knew that they were friends and they were buddies. And, you know, George teased people and Jason Sim, you know, that there was this history. Yeah. And makes them more relatable. And, and, as well. and I always look at that scene and go that I think, you know, there's a lot of turning points in these movies. But I think that was where you go. I really like these characters and I don't want anything bad to happen to them. And then we earned George's death. We earned uh, Baz's death. Hey, you care. 
and that that was like the key and uh, so that that was another thing that kind of meant something and that's when you talk about cast and then we populated we got great people like judah freelander in the second movie and vivica a fox in the second movie they were we love those characters and we hated that we killed them right and we got to bring them back in this in film. the sixth one <laughs> Ju judah in particular was part of the uh the twitter sphere uh during the first sharknado and he he wrote one of my favorite tweets he goes Yes, I directed Sharknado under the pseudonym of Anthony C. Ferrante. And so I wrote, I, I did a Twitter back where I go, yes, I started 30 Rock under the pseudonym of Judah Freelander. <laughs> so we became friends because of that. And then um, he was going to be in the movie. And they're just going to have him say two lines on the subway. I'm like, you know, well, I mean, I know what they're doing. I mean, if, if, you know, this is what the fee is, we do a couple days on this thing. He's like, sure, I'll do whatever you want. And so we wrote a bigger part for him. That's great. Um, and that character, the Brian, Brian was uh, my brother-in-law, and he passed. He was a big part of helping promote uh, Sharknado for me. And so we named the character after him. So to have him come back. There's in, so much heart in, in you the... put into these films, man. <laughs> There's a lot. That's so, great. So in the sixth movie, having Brian back was just great. And just working with Judah again was just, I had so much fun with Judah. I just, he has the same sense of humor as I do. And it's very dry. You know, a lot of those things that he you saw in the opening are all ad libs. We came up on set. I go, I need something with Back to the Future. And he'll, I got this. Okay. And he does it. It's like, and then I said, <laughs> let's I, do the time warp again as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Though that. No, that was, that was the, we always have those little buffers. <laughs> there was a, the one where he's talking about like, uh, you know, I, I, you know, cause knowing these movies, it's like, yeah, Finn gets eaten by, by sharks. And I go, you know, and I, I just, I, I just brain you know fart like i mean you know it'd be funny why don't you just say something about like yeah i know you've eaten a lot of dinosaurs but like you know i've been eaten pooped out by a lot of dinosaurs and stuff it's like that would be really funny because yeah. it's mentioning the other and he, and he figured out how to take that just stupid idea <laughs> he made it work and the moment he said it that it, we all just broke up laughing because it was just it was just so ridiculous That's but awesome. it works organically yeah yeah, it's fantastic. Well, look, I mean, again, I, I love the passion. And, and I don't think there's any mystery as to why these films are so successful and why you have fans who genuinely love them. It's because I think they can see that these films were made with that love that you were showing everyone right now. Um, I do want to talk about the cameos because I think that's another. I, I, let, let me let me add one other thing, oh, course, though, because yeah. my my I, I can't. I can't, we, I, there's a lot of people I can't go through all the names because and there people get mad if I do it. But I got to say the the producers here at Asylum, the Davids, David Ramawi, David Ladd, and Paul Bales, Sci-Fi, all the people that were there from the beginning, my amazing cast and my amazing crew, all the people that have ever worked on Sharknado, they they cared. It's a that, family. That we, we have a huge yeah. family that we've carried over. And, you know, the post-production here, the people, the visual effects, the, the hours everybody works on these movies – you know, you don't see that on low-budget films. Yeah. It's insane, and I can't thank them enough for for tolerating it. Because look, I I'm I'm crazy. I try to do these crazy things, and they tolerate it, and they're with me, and that they make they make it what it is as well. Yeah, so so absolutely. I can't. I I think that that it's not just me care. It's not just myself caring. It's you know, you know, I rally the troops and I've got I've got my army that uh, they they all are, are in it. They really wanted to make it work. Yeah. And, uh, you know, these producers have been amazing to me. They've really given me enough rope to hang myself every time. <laughs> and so they're they're kind of like it's like that codependent thing. They kind of enable me. You know, they go, yeah, I want to I want to do, uh, you know, all this crazy stuff where, you know, they they go into space and then, you know, they we're going to do the airplane and, all, and they're like, OK. You know, we have the budget. You got to make it happen. <laughs> and so the, they, there's there's a lot of stuff that without them taking that leap of faith, especially in the first movie, like I wanted to do this crouching tiger hidden dragon thing when he goes into the shark. There was, there was always he was eaten, but it was on the ground. 
and I just I wanted to make it fantastical. And generally, the Asylum doesn't like to go that far. They'll try to keep it even more grounded. That's the production and, company. Yeah, the production the company. Films, and yeah. and they, they were looking at that going, is that too far? And I go, no, no, it's not. It's not. It's like, okay, we'll leave it in. <laughs> and that became the meme. That became the thing. Yeah. So I just, I just can't thank them enough. They really have been awesome people. It's been an amazing journey. And... You know, uh, it's it's just like, you know, we couldn't do this without all the me moving pieces. Yeah, well, I thank them and I love them. I love you guys all. And I can see, again, it's a family. You know, it's such a team effort. It's fantastic. All right, so cameos. Cameos. I, I do, I, just because this is a, a big part of what makes these films so fun for me. Like I, you know, I saw, I told you, I saw Sharknado 5 a couple weeks ago, Global Swarming. I was literally saying to myself, I think the day before I saw that, where's Chris Catan? You know, because I love Night at the Roxbury. Yeah. I love Undercover Brother, films that he's in. And he's just a, a guy I don't see enough. And then he shows up in Global Swarming. And not just a cameo, actually. He's got like a He's good a prime part. minister. Yeah, it's fantastic. Of England. Oh, gosh. <laughs> oh, that was that, that when they, they said he was in it because I'm a big Saturday Night Live fan. And um, <laughs> it's, again, it's fun working with comedians, too, because uh, they know how to ground it. But, they, but they're but they really sharp at like, right. you know, uh, off the cuff stuff and uh there was we had this the bust of uh, winston churchill and you know it's supposed to be kind of like q kind of thing he's a prime minister but it's like james bondian and who's the guy who plays like clay Aiken? it's plays clay Aiken. Yeah. clay Aiken plays q <laughs> and so so he has to press a button and and, and, I, and I and i saw him do it and i'm going go boop <laughs> And Samantha Fox. I grew up in England, so I I grew up on that goal. So, so, so Chris Kattan does this, and he goes, "Boop!" And then every and and Tara, who notoriously is never breaks character, uh, she did a little. She did it again on six because we were doing something so ridiculous. But she couldn't keep a straight face every time he did it. She just started busting up laughing. Hilarious! But it was just like. Boop, boop. <laughs> and, and but it, again it's character it's like the humor is is always derived from the character yeah. and uh that that was that was fun england was great the cameos we got there i mean it was just, it was a really great yeah, time shooting it. in england and this movie um like like chris Catan, we also got another saturday night alum we got um uh, daryl hammond uh oh. he plays george washington and he also sort of sounds a little like Bill Clinton, uh, so it it is it is one of the it's one it's very very funny sequence and uh, we shot we shot most of the scene in Romania but we knew we were going to shoot uh, or film the George Washington stuff another day because we didn't know who we were going to get cameo wise because we couldn't ship someone out there and so uh, we filmed Daryl in New York and so we had our doubles and we and we you know we basically shot all the stuff with him and he was a little he was a little. Uh, um, Con, uns, unsure because you know normally you know comedians need to know everything and he needs to have the actors playing off him and he didn't have the actors and so I kind of filled that void and so w- then he started loosening up and there's this thing where you know he's kind of going back and forth with Hamilton so I was kind of filling that in and then we just started kind of riffing like I would do something and he goes and, and, and it just it, it just it was <laughs> it was like I'm, I'm not an actor I don't profess to be one and I don't want to be but to be able to engage with someone that I've looked up yeah. to that I think is amazing to be able to kind of do that and then when we cut it in the movie because he had something to riff off of and it, it was just this random stuff it was it's really funny I love it and so that that was that was awesome I think I think turning point in some ways is too because you know we had Judge Hirsch playing a uh, taxi cab driver but I think the big one was Robert Hayes from Airplane yeah 
Yeah, I love him. So we, I was in New York, and my family was there, and we, were, we decided to watch Airplane because we knew we were going to do a disaster thing at the beginning with the airplane. And my wife goes, you should get Robert Hayes to play the pilot. I'm going, oh, my gosh, that's the best idea I've ever heard. <laughs> Classic. So I remember walking around New York calling David Ladd, our producer. I'm saying, we have to get Robert Hayes to play the pilot. He's like, no, because the thing is, then it's going to take everybody out of the movie. And, and, and no, we must get Robert Hayes. It's like, yeah, but look, it's okay. We'll get, we'll get Robert. Hayes. We'll go out. We'll see if Robert Hayes will do it, but you can't make any references to airplane. I'm like, I got my fingers crossed going, Oh, of course we won't make any references to airplane. No, we won't do that at all. Cut I picked to, the wrong day to stop sniffing glue. <laughs> yeah, so of course what we do is we make airplane references and, and it's okay because he's, he's fine with of it. But, but the thing is that that was a turning point in the sense of characters uh, or actors kind of having a, a lineage to something they've done in the past. Yeah. And the thing that kind of, I think the reason why two was probably the, the biggest ratings, uh, not only for the phenomena going into yeah, it. It's but, my favorite one. It, yeah. But because of, we kind of rest, sanded off the rough edges and all that stuff is that people were jaded coming into it, I think. And they're going, they're just not, it's like the first movie. People were like, you know, they see the trailer going, they, they they're, they're, that's the only stuff in the movie. They're, they, they, can't, they, they didn't do anything else. They put the best stuff in the trailer. And then you watch it going, it's wall to wall, crazy shit. Yeah. <laughs> what the hell? And so, um, so in the second one, we were, we saw we screened it for the first time for the, the television critics at the TCA's um, a, a pool party. So they it projected it on the wall, and it's like a mass audience, and we're watching it. And there and, and then the movie starts, and everything's cool. And then Robert Hayes pops up, and you just hear this collective like uh, squeal of joy from everybody. <laughs> and these are critics that have seen everything, you know, and they're they're like they're with us, and they're loving it. And I think at that point, everybody that watched it going, okay, they know what they exactly what they are. You know, they're, they're in on the joke, but they, they, they're, they're, they're with us, you know, because if we, it was just like, we just want, we just want to please. We're like eager to please. Like, oh, guess what we got? We got a new toy. Look at this. Look at this. Yeah. I love it. And that's why I just, I have to rattle off some of these because it's like a who's who of just people you grew up with, you know? Uh, I mean, look, David Hasselhoff, the Hoff. You know, I, the Hoff and the 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 Hoff was like a no brainer. Like we've talked, he actually did a promo for number two, and then we got him for three as playing Finn's dad. And again, it's just like that perfect thing of like, oh my gosh, David. Ha- of course, David Hasselhoff he is Finn's dad. Perfect for it. Yeah. And, oh, I I I gotta say the thing about David that I love is just his delivery. It, it David has. Just the way he talks, and he's that makes it so easy to write for him, right? Because he just he has he has this tone, and he 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 says things certain ways, and he just adds gravitas to have him be a former, uh, you know, uh, you know, an astronaut that never went to the moon <laughs> or never went to the space. It's just he was so great. I yeah. loved him. Yeah, it's fantastic. Bo Derek. I mean, I grew up watching some of those Bo Derek movies. Schwing. That Bo, was incredible. Bo Derek was so sweet. I loved I love Bo too, and she. she she maybe may may or may not appear in ah, Sharknado. Uh, she looks incredible. <laughs> she and and again, it's like she has a sense of humor and she grounds it. You know, the the thing too is that a, a lot of people say Sharknado is camp, and I'll disagree a little bit with them on that. In the sense that camp to me is Rocky Horror Picture Show. Camp is. Uh, some of these other movies where all the characters are acting like idiots, like, oh my gosh, what's going on? Look at that thing over there. These these movies, the actors are grounding it. If you're comic relief, you're allowed to comment. But the uh, the ridiculous thing is the Sharknado itself. 
the situations that they're in, but the characters are in a movie about an earthquake. The characters are in a disaster movie, the end of the world. And that's that's what delineates it from camp. Now, I will say, because I'll get called out on it, in six, we push that that level that the characters don't go broad, but the situations get even kind of, it, it, it borders on, oh my gosh, this is just completely crazy and ridiculous. <laughs> but it's still the characters of the heart. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, Mark Cuban, Jerry Springer, Gary Busey, who I love. As yeah, a, try as... explaining it to Gary. Gary Busey <laughs> likes to understand everything. And there was a moment on set where we had to explain to him uh, what a Sharknado and a Quanta box is. Goes, but I, I need I need to understand what this stuff is. <laughs> you need, okay, so so the Quanta box, what what is that? Because he really wants to understand it. And uh, you took the impressions well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I listened to him a lot in editing. Uh, so so uh, I told this at someone else recently. Is like we were in there rehearsing with Gary Busey, David Hasselhoff, Tara Reid, and Ryan Newman, who played the daughter, and no one else is in there. And um, Gary B starts asking all these questions, and David Hasselhoff tries to explain to Gary. Well, see, the Quanta box is this, and the and the Sharknados is like, and then it's like, yeah, but I don't. And they start talking, and then Tara Reid steps in the middle of them because she knows the franchise. No, Gary, see, this is the thing, the Sharknados, and you realize how ridiculous all this sounds That's like awesome. Sharknados, sharks and tornado, Quanta boxes, all this kind of stuff. And Ryan and I just, I at a certain point, I just gave up because I just stepped back and we're looking <laughs> at each other. And we and we just were trying not to laugh because they're talking about the most ridiculous things seriously. Yeah. And Tara Reed is the mediator between them. And no no one the only two people that had ever experienced that was Ryan and I from a perspective of this is insane. This is Sharknado. It's fantastic. And and then when we started shooting Gary's scene, he's like, um he, he just was struggling with it again. He kept going, like, I just don't you know, okay, what okay, so this this okay, and I go, Gary, I got a great idea. I'm gonna turn the camera on for ten minutes. As long as you hit these beats, just improv it. That's a great idea. And I'm like, we let the camera roll, tw- two takes, 10 minutes, and then I cleaned everything up in the reverse with the other actors. And because we did that and we cut it down to like the 45 seconds or two minutes the scene was, he's great. And it's so, f- it's because it's yeah, natural it. and it's filtered through Gary Busey. It's the Gary Buseyisms. And we did a longer version on the uh, on the the Blu-ray. I think we put the full thing on uh, the deleted scenes. But that's the way you do it. Sometimes you look at it and you go, you know what? He he needs a certain thing. What he needs is to be unleashed. We needed to unleash the Busey. You have to. And, and we let we unleashed yeah. the Busey, and we got gold. I mean, there was so much gold in there that was just like I could have never had a something scripted that was as good as what he did. Yeah, that's fantastic. And then just the last few. Yeah, I mean Olivia Newton John, which was in the fifth one, yep. was fantastic. Dolph Lundgren, Mark McGrath, Judd Hirsch, as you said, Kelly Osborne. David Naughton uh, yeah, we had in the last movie. That's right, yeah. And then Will Wheaton. And then I love all the real newscaster people. I love that. That's in the second one, especially. Yeah. Right? Like Al Roker and stuff. Yeah. It's just so fun. You know, so just seeing all those names and faces that, you know, I think elevates these films as well. Oh, we got a lot of great ones in this one. Neil deGrasse Tyson plays Merlin. Ooh. Uh, oh, that, wow. uh, she that, loves him. That was, that was just so cool. I can't believe that we got him for that. And then... Uh, Tori Spelling, who was on 90210, plays yeah. Finn's uh, mom. Oh, wow. <laughs> and so that was neat. Uh, Alaska Thunder Bleep, who's from uh, Ru- RuPaul's uh, drag show. Uh, um, he, uh, she was great. She plays Morgana, and she was just so much fun. Uh, ben Stein's in this movie. Um, oh, Deborah Wilson's in the film. There's she's so she, many people. She's She's great. Uh, Marina Sirtis from Star Trek The Next Generation. Uh, lovely, lovely woman. She was fantastic. She's in the Merlin section. 
Uh, oh, D. Snyder plays Sheriff Ron. Oh, I love. Well, we got to we got to do a western, and uh, Jonathan Bennett from Mean Girls plays Billy the Kid. That's the 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 thing that's also fun about these movies. It's like being a kid in the candy store in the sense that. As much as there's a consistent thing with these Sharknados, you know, mm-hmm. that's the story. And yeah, okay, we repeat it, but there's more to it. Each movie, we get to make a slightly different film. So that's, as a filmmaker, it's fun. Like, it's new toys. So, you know, Los Angeles was Los Angeles, and I call it a parking lot movie because aside from the, the, the pier, we, sh- we were basically, we can't shoot in the sky because it's blue skies and it's visual effects, so we're shooting down. So it's right. a parking lot movie. Makes Everything sense. was pretty much shot in parking lots. New York was liberated. It was like the biggest tinker toy set you could have. It's like, hey, here's Times Square. Hey, here's Met Stadium. We got to do go to all these crazy locations that most movies, you know, big films can't afford to do. But because we're scrappy, it's like, oh, you only have two hours in Times Square and you only can have eight people crew. Okay. You can only have two hours on Liberty Island and, uh, you know, you have to shoot it before it opens and you have two hours. Okay. And we, you just do it. Yeah. And then on the third movie, we got to do White House Down with Sharks. We got to do an amusement park disaster movie and we got to do Sharks in Space. The fourth movie, <laughs> we got to make a science fiction film. The fifth film, we got to go global and, and hit all these global landmarks and go to those actual places. We had to shoot film in uh, London. We filmed in front of Parliament. We filmed on a Tower Bridge. That's amazing. It's that it's that thing that Robbie said. It's a movie that doesn't know it can't do that. Yeah. And then in this film, I got to make five or six different films. Every two days, we were doing Camelot. We were doing Old West. We were doing Prehistoric. And so it makes it fresh for me because I'm getting to do different things. You know, it's so fun. Yeah. You know, the the White House Down with Sharks thing was something that we talked about on the second film. If we did a third and. And it was just, I knew I wanted to do White House Down with Sharks. And it's played like one of those action movies, you know? Yeah. You know, the, the sharks are attacking the White House. They're, they're the terrorists. And, and, and Finn and uh, the president have to stop it. That's awesome. Well, look, we're winding down. Um, but so this is the last film, Sharknado 6, August 19th, that's coming out on Sci-Fi. So everyone's got to tune in and check it out. Um, what I do want to talk to you about as well because I'm Tony the movie guy. I love talking about these films, but I'd also, we, we only have a few minutes, but I'd love to hear a few of your influences in terms of movies that inspire you. Cause I'm always fascinated in hearing what others have as you the, know, their subjective reality. Yeah. It, the, my, my interests are, are, are kind of wide and narrow at the same time. But, um, you know, I'm a product of John Carpenter, you know, yeah, John Carpenter, the, 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 the horror side of things, the suspense side, I learned everything about suspense. Favorite John Carpenter the film? thing, of course, yeah, like and it used to be Halloween initially, but the thing supplanted that it's a long timeless. time ago in, and it, and it works because of the practical effects out of all the stuff in that movie. There's probably like 5% of the stuff that doesn't work anymore. It's the stop motion and it's very minimal. It's just a tiny bit. Yeah. All the practical stuff is flawless. It's and so effective and it, still. And, it, and it's, it's a film that was not treated well when it came out. I loved it when it came out, but it's, it's something that's aged incredibly. Yeah. And a lot of John Carper's movies, they, they've respected in they retrospect. They live. Oh, I love they, it. They live was one of the smartest movies ever. And Big it, trouble it, in and, little China. And they live is so important to today. You watch that movie and go, oh my gosh, the aliens really are here. It's so smart, that film. Uh, so John Carpenter, you know, is, is, is an influence. Um, I love, I love what Joe Dante did in terms of mixing the humor with the horror. Gremlins, Gremlins, Gremlins too. Piranha. Yeah. How, Howling is an amazing movie. John Landis with uh, American Werewolf in London. I love that film and there's a lot of homages in Sharknado 5 to that um 
Barry Levinson, I love as a filmmaker because of that conversational thing. I love Tin Men. Avalon is a beautiful movie. Rain Man. Um, he, oh, man, he did Rain ba- Man. Bar- Barry Levinson yeah. is just an incredible filmmaker. I need filmmaker. a diner, of course. Right? Diner, which is one of my favorite movies. Yeah. And then John Sayles, who, as a filmmaker, I love Lone Star and Baby It's You is a great film. But as a screenwriter, what I learned from um, John Sayles was that you could comment on things and make horror genre things about something and not people and have, have people if they want to read between the lines get it but the movie just plays straight but when you make it about something it's cool like piranha was about vietnam war and he did that with alligator he did he's always doing something interesting and i learned a lot from that i also a, a buddy of mine uh, uh william c martell um, i met him uh, in Northern California and I'm still friends with him and he's a really great screenwriter, understands these things. Just talking to him all the time and listening to structures of scripts has, has influenced me and he was the guy that always said, look, this stuff has to be about something. There yeah. has to be a theme. You know, you know, I'd show him scripts and go, no, you, the theme is this. You know, he was, it's, you know, it, I learned a lot from him more so than even, uh, you know, from the screenwriting books. It was just those things. And, you know, whenever I, whenever I've hit brick walls on things on some of my movies, I'll call him and go, okay, I can't figure this out. He's like, okay, well, da, da, da. And it's like, okay, got it. And, he, and, and if, if, if you don't know uh, Bill or William C. Martell, go to uh, Amazon. He has a lot of screenwriting books, particularly The Secrets of Action Screenwriting. Support this guy. He's, he's an amazing writer, both in screenplays, but his books are, are really great uh, tools for, for screenwriters and filmmakers. Yeah, I'll check them out. I've, I've been writing scripts for years, so that's awesome. Okay, cool. So look, as you exhale and take a deep breath, Anthony, what's next for you? Anything in the pipeline? Anything you can talk about? Well, the cool thing—the cool thing—is that um, I, you know I've been I've been tied down for 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 you know six months out of the year every year doing these, and I I managed to do some different things. Like I did a couple commercials, and I did a I did a thriller that I'm really proud of called Forgotten Evil, uh, that uh, that I did two years right after Sharknado Four. I wrote and directed this thing. Oh, awesome! Where is it's, that? It's you can you can get it online. You can get it on Amazon Prime. I think it's free on Amazon Prime. Oh, I'll and, watch it for sure. Um, but it was it was it was completely different, and I did it here with the asylum. And they said, "What do you want to do?" It's like I want to. I just want to do something that doesn't have a lot of visual effects. I want to do something that's a right. kind of a, like a thriller. And they said, "Okay, here are the three things that we have." They had something like called Sinister Minister, Teacher's Pet, and they had something called Forgotten Evil, which basically was a a woman with amnesia whose whose husband comes back to try to uh, try to kill her after he, after trying to kill her once before. And I thought, okay, that's simple enough. But I saw like some echoes of Sleeping with the Enemy. And I wanted to make a oh, mystery. I love that movie, Julia Roberts. Yeah. So I wanted to make something that was a mystery. I wanted to make something that was like you don't know right away who this person is or what's going on. And uh, I, Masiel Lucia, who was Gemini in Sharknado 4, I wrote the role for her cool. and she did it. And I had the, the cast there. Uh, the, the, so amazing. Kyle McKeever and Angie Dick. Um, they three of them, and the, and we went and shot in my hometown because I, you know, I live in, I've come from Antioch, a town in Northern California. And I shot a lot of my, my my little student films there. That's where I got my start. And I wrote it because I wanted it to be sort of a small coastal town. And uh, they, they, they opened arms. They gave us deals on permits. And so it was kind of a homecoming in a way of like suddenly now I got to make a film in the town that I was making these movies where I had no money. Hometown hero. (laughs) Yeah. And, and, and it was, it was just, it was, you know, it was a smaller film, but it was a scrappy little group of people. And it was, it, I got to do a lot of really fun things with that. I'm really proud of it. And it, it really is about something. It's about survivors. It's about people uh, involved in abuce. It's about, you know, overcoming things and, 
you know, memories and stuff. And it's, uh, it's, I'm, I, I hope more people watch that. So that's Forgotten Evil. Forgotten on Evil. Amazon Prime. Yeah, you can see it on Amazon Prime. There's one that you think you have to pay for, and there's one where you can oh, see it for free. Pay for it, guys. No, no, no. There's one <laughs> that they, somehow, somehow there's two versions of it. The same movie, but one of them it's for free, and one of them you have to pay for. That's so, very cool. and you can get it, you know, you can, you can get it on all the other, uh, you know, downloadable like iTunes and stuff like yeah. that. But that, but then, um, the, uh, I have a couple other scripts. There's a script called Agony that we've been trying to get made for a while, which in a weird way, Forgotten Evil was the dry run for Agony and that I wanted it. it it's another thriller and it's just such a really cool, creepy, suspenseful uh, film. And um, I'm hoping we'll get that off the ground at some point. Cool. But the next, the big thing um, that I've been involved in is um, uh, a couple producers, Steve Hillard and Joel Eisenberg came to me with this comic book that they have the uh, rights to that uh, Steve wrote with uh, Dennis Nolan. It's called Far Away Canyon. And they said, you're the perfect person for this thing. I was like, okay, let me see it. And I read the comic and it just, I, I, I thought it was really a cool idea. It was the idea that in, in our present day that the atomic age monsters still existed, such as, you know, like the gigantic tarantulas and, oh, wow. you know, uh, you know, zombies, all that, all that stuff that was part of that, that atomic age of public domain stuff. And so um, the, the first script was, was basically kind of more a present day kind of thing. And so I started thinking about it and going, well, what would I do with it? Because you can do whatever you want. Just, just let us know what you want to try to do. And I go, you know what the story should be is that um, you have two characters that are that are that that are modern characters that end up in a 1950s. They they go in they enter some place where they, it's suddenly 1950s. These monsters exist yet it's still present day, but they're still stuck in this 1950s mentality. And because it's a TV show that we're developing, what is the mystery and why is it this way and and why are they doing this? That's cool. And, Sounds fascinating. You know, so and they and you have to, they have to learn to coexist with. So this is a TV series. It's a TV series. So you'd, you'd have to coexist with this thing and and so like you know I started thinking like okay well I, I can understand the tarantulas being a problem. Uh, but like the ants, you know, the ants are going to be kind of benign. So how do you deal with them from destroying your buildings because they're big and lumbering? So you do feeding day where you have a trail and they come and you throw your trash and they get it and you have little ant rides with the kids and stuff like that. So it's like creating. So it was really fun creating this whole universe. So we shot a pilot presentation last fall and we've been uh, we're getting close to taking it out and uh, to the different streaming services and networks. So I, I that and Masia Lelouch again, who I love to death. She's, you cost her in this. She she's the lead in this. And, awesome. And so that was it, it's it's a really fun. It, it it's like shark. It's it's a little more grounded than Sharknado, um, but it still has that sense of fun. That's awesome. And and so Far Away Canyon is like that. I'm I'm hoping that's the next thing because I, I'm I've, I've like Sharknado I fell in love with the world we created that's it great. just it started you know once you start thinking about all these things and I also love Back to the Future so that's no, one of my favorite films of all time <laughs> and you're talking about influences there's there's things also I think that are perfect movies um, another another filmmaker Val Luton was a producer in the 1940s and 50s that did a lot of these old classic black and white suspense movies uh, Chris the Cat, Pe Cat People Leopard Man I Walk with a Zombie and they're brilliant in terms of suspense I learned a lot of like you know the, the keys, those things still hold up to this day. Some of the dialogue and acting is very retro for that time, but the suspense sequences are, are, are flawless. They're very John Carpenter-esque. Um, but perfect movies, Raiders of the Lost Ark, perfect movie. You Absolutely. sit there in awe. Back to the Future, is, it, you, you know, it was kind of like pop, poppy and commercially at the time, and I, I loved it. When I, saw I think it. it's perfect, but, but but you look at it now, and it is an absolutely flawless, perfect first film, film I ever saw in the cinema. It, there's nothing wrong with that. It blew movie. me away. It is, and I always try, you know, like, like I always, w 
you know, pray that I could be as 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 as, as strong a writer as as uh, Robert Zemeckis and uh, Bob Gale, and that how they structured it. We're always trying, in some ways, with our endings too, to make sure that multiple things are going on. And but they they were they were smart cookies. They they knew every single piece and how it fit together. Uh, the Coen Brothers is a huge influence. I their sense of humor I respect, and the fact that they're able to do different genres, you know, yeah, to do a thriller do a or a comedy or this. Fargo is so, one of my favorites. Fargo, amazing. Yeah. The TV show is really good too. Um, so I mean, the thing that I appreciate about Sharknado, what it's done is, I was known as the horror guy, and I will never turn my back on horror, and I love horror. But Sharknado opened up the doors for me to do other things that I like, like comedy or action or or music stuff. I did a couple yeah. commercials that were like music things you know dancing so it open new doors yeah so so the thing is i, I look at it is that i I'm, I'm a filmmaker and if i get the opportunity because of sharknado to do different things i will always be known as, as the guy that made sharknado and i have no problem i'm not embarrassed by hey it. who knows and, man you're just getting started and, and, <laughs> and you know my you know i like doing silly fun things and i like making yeah. people happy but you know as with you know forgotten evil it's not a humorous movie i i can do other things and so the it, the fact that I've been given the opportunity to be able to do things, different things, that's what you want as a filmmaker. You want to be able to kind of, you know, try and experiment. And, Absolutely. And I, at this point, you know, I, I don't have to worry about the two hundred uh, two hundred million dollars online. I, I get to make mistakes and and get better at my craft. And in the five years I've done this, I've, I mean, I couldn't have done Shark the last Sharknado if I hadn't done the first Sharknado and all of them in between. Of course. I, there's so much stuff that we did. It's just like I, I, I didn't have the the skill set of running and gunning in that crazy way because you understand what's necessary and what's important versus what's not. Like, okay, well, you know, the thing I've always known since my first film is coverage overtakes. Don't do 10 master shots. Do one master, get as much as you can, and go in for coverage. And you know what you need. You know the lines. And... You know, I've done 10 films now, so there's another thing of understanding what scenes are important and what aren't. What they, what aren't. And I'm not saying every scene is important, but it's like, okay, this is a quick dialogue scene. This could just be done in a one -er, or you just do this really quick and move on. But this is an emotional scene. I need four hours to do this. So, you know, my AD will occasionally go, well, uh, you know, if you spend time on this, you know, you're, I know, but this is important that I can get through that and, and jump through that super quickly. But I need, I need to get these close-ups. I need that because this is, this scene is important. So it's understanding like the stuff. Um, the other thing too, is the timing and planning for these movies. When you do them, when you go out on set, you know, we don't have sometimes the planning for it because there's no time. And so being able to come on set and you know, a lot of, a lot of times filmmakers that have a lot of money, they come out on set and go, that pole's blue change it to silver i'm going to my trailer for four hours that that's wrong that's not going to work and it's minutia stuff you know yeah. they have the power to do it because you have the time and the money i come out and like in the second movie we were supposed to have two two dumpster trucks for the scene with the statue of liberty head and it was going to be kind of like a game of pong with with <laughs> the thing and i get out on set that morning and go you have one truck and oh, by the way you don't have a lot of time to shoot this because of the permit and stuff and so instead, most people from filmmakers, a lot of filmmakers would go, well, no, we have to, we have to. It's like, okay, all right, so, okay, let's do this. Let's make this sequence. Let's do this. And, and, and then you suddenly, literally on the spot, are rewriting in your head how to make something cool out of something that you really wanted to do, but it's not going to be that. So now you have to kind of readjust it because I was so excited about the Pong thing. And so that's the fun part about it and those the, the skills that you learn. 
And again, in those moments, like uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark is a perfect example. The energy of desperation of Harrison Ford having diarrhea, yeah. and they were supposed to have oh, yeah. that big uh, sword fight yeah. uh, duel with the gun and all that stuff. And it's like, you know, I can't make it through it. It's like he just pulls out his gun, and shoots, shoots him. him. Now it's one of the most iconic scenes in movie history. Yeah. So, yeah, so, it's so, crazy. so, so it's, it's it's not being rigid sometimes can lead to things. And I think, again, Forgotten Evil with four movies of Sharknado. When we got to that film, and it was about characters, yet. Um, I kept thinking as we were doing, it's like, oh, we're not being ambitious enough. And then we came back and we had this 108 minute movie. And you, normally the movies they do here that are the thrillers, they're, they're single location. We had so much tough. I, once it was cut together, going, oh my God, I guess we were way too ambitious because it was, <laughs> it was nonstop with the stuff that we were doing. We were yeah. super crazy with the stuff we did, but because I came, we had a script that was, was solid and it, we didn't have to worry about imaginary sharks and stuff we could focus on that and and compartmentalize and then within those lines like we could add a little more magic that's awesome well look anthony i'd love to sit here and chat with you for <laughs> hours i actually would because a i love your passion it's fantastic and you're totally my kind of guy you know the the nerds rule the world <laughs> i mean we truly do yeah it's so having grown up in the 80s um but i want you to get some sleep because you've been working your <laughs> well ass deserved off. Um, but yeah, so uh, my lovely wife and the producer who's been so patiently sitting I've quietly. Do you have any questions for him? Because I'm going to wrap up the, uh, the episode. I don't so much have a question, but y your enthusiasm for these movies comes across in, like, I don't even know, in abundance. It's nuts. And it has made my enthusiasm to watch these movies. Like, I need to watch all of them right now. I made her watch I need, a few. Wow. I need to binge watch these. I'm sure when Alamo Draft House opens in LA, there's going to be like Sharknado marathons happening. That would be awesome. And I'm so excited. Oh, I need you. to watch all of them right now, and then I'll watch the new one. I'm stoked. They, and it's like all, it's your heart that went into it. Oh, and I'm so you. excited for it. They're going to do a marathon leading into the sixth one. So. Oh, yeah. We're going to watch them all. Oh, yeah. We are. So. We really are. And again, I just go back to these movies make people happy. So you're doing something right. Truly, you are, my friend. OK, well, thank you. I appreciate yeah, it. Absolutely. Well, look, thanks so much for coming on the show. Uh, you're welcome back anytime. And everyone, Sharknado 6, August 19th. This on Sunday. And what's the full title? The Last Sharknado. It's about time. The Last Sharknado. It's about time. Now, and check the <laughs> listings because if you think it's going to be on at 8, it might be on at 5 here in L.A. or anywhere else wherever you're listening. So it's uh, it's Sunday night somewhere at some time, somewhere between 5 and 8 o'clock at night. And <laughs> buy the Blu-rays. And there's going to be a whole box set soon. And, 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 I'm excited and for go, the box set. And go, to, cool. go to iTunes and uh, and and download our, our albums. It's under the band name Quint, and we've got about – <laughs> a ton of songs we oh, have yeah. a new album called definitely do the shark out. coming out i think tomorrow do the shark all right thanks so much anthony thank you good night everyone good night Thank you so much for listening to another new episode of Tony the Movie Guy, the podcast. I hope you can tell why I liked that episode so much. Isn't he amazing? He's so fun and he's so enthusiastic. It just makes you want to be inter interested in everything he says. Um, again, don't miss The Last Sharknado. It's about time. 
Sunday, August 19th on the Sci-Fi Network, 8 p.m. Check your local listings to make sure that's not East or West time. And the marathon coming up before that on the Sci-Fi Network as well. You can also follow Anthony C. Ferrente at AC Ferrente on Twitter. Follow everything he does. If you love Sharknado, he's doing other stuff, guys. Sharknado's over, but he's not. So keep an eye out for him and all the fun stuff he's going to be up to very shortly. And as always, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Tony the Movie Guy. Shoot us an email, Tony the Movie Guy Podcast at gmail.com. Check out our website, Tony the Movie Guy.com. Become a patron on our Patreon page. Donate to our GoFundMe. Do whatever you want. We like it. All the links are in the show notes below, and we hope you have a wonderful week. Bye bye. <laughs>